0: Hello. On behalf of the Independent Research Forum, welcome to this IRF podcast. I'm David Osman, and with me today is James Lucia of Capital Alpha Partners, which is a leading provider of American strategic policy research and political forecasting. Our subject for this podcast is US politics, the prospects for 2023 and 2024. The Independent Research Forum. Promotes a wide range of high quality independent research and data providers from around the world, both micro and macro. Some are stock pickers, some are sector specific, some are country specific, many are global, and all are investment related. In the last two years, American democracy has been stretched almost to breaking point. With the approach of the midterm congressional elections in early November, How are the Democrat and Republican parties shaping up? If the Democrats lose control of the Senate or the House of Representatives, what will this mean for US policy, the economy and the financial markets in the year ahead? And what are the midterm elections likely to mean for the race to the White House in 2024? Will it be another rerun of Biden versus Trump? Or are there younger candidates who will come to the fore? To answer these questions and more, I am very pleased that we are joined today by James Lucia, the Managing Director of Capital Alpha Partners, which was founded in 2007 and is based in Washington, D.C. Capital Alpha Partners closely monitors and forecasts U.S. political developments and then analyzes their impact on the economy and the financial markets. Tracking U.S. political developments that have an impact on global equities, credits and broader portfolios, the very experienced Capital Alpha team offers situational awareness of Washington, of its legislative activity and regulatory processes, as well as the political climate. It does this on a macro sector and sub-sector basis. In addition to its macro coverage, Capital Alpha Partners covers a broad spectrum of all the key sectors from consumers and energy to financials, healthcare, industrials and telecoms, media and technology. James, welcome back. First of all, let's start with a short introduction to the service that Capital Alpha Partners provides to your various clients.
1: Capital Alpha Partners does a lot of sector focused work. And uh, we actually do very deep, in-depth industry coverage for a number of verticals, which are strongly affected by politics and things in Washington. So we cover energy, environment, sustainability. We cover telecom. We cover health We cover industrials. We cover, uh, you know, many of the uh, major industrial sectors. But we do it with a view toward what is happening in Washington that will impact these industries. And of course, to uh, track Washington, we do have to do a lot of political forecasting as well. So it's really a great topic because we're getting ready for the next uh, macro reset, if you will. We really do have to look forward to the elections to see what the environment will be like for the industries that we cover.
0: With President Biden approaching the midpoint of his four-year term of office, how do you assess his achievements so far? His achievements are
1: legislative at this point. Typically, the first half of a president's term is very strongly focused on his legislative agenda in Congress, and he has finally gotten a few significant successes there. Uh, The cycle in the presidential term is that uh, the second half generally has much more to do with foreign policy and administrative regulation. I think that uh, Biden has uh, kind of come back from the brink. There was tremendous skepticism that he'd be able to get his legislative agenda through. And frankly, that skepticism was also uh, reflected in a belief that Biden was just too old for the job, that he had really aged past his prime and wasn't able to act as uh, an effective uh, leader for his party. He's got uh, remarkably low approval ratings even now as president. But uh, just as the market goes through cycles of boom and bust, we've gone from the uh, Biden bust, if you will, to a minor Biden boom Um, suddenly Biden, who looked like he was on the ropes two months ago, is now on top of the world. I think the reality is, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle that Biden does uh, have a strong support within his party, but it is very much a divided country, and Biden really doesn't reach out to more than the 50% of the country that voted for him.
0: So what do you expect to happen with the midterm elections in early November? And what would this mean for U.S. policy and the U.S. economy?
1: The midterm elections are looking to be a little closer than expected. Uh, For many months now, Republicans have been pointing to the perceived failure of the Biden administration and really crowing that um, there was a gigantic Republican wave in the offering that uh, Democrats had very narrow majorities in the House and Senate to start with. Um, Zero seats, actually, in the Senate. Four seats in the House of Representatives. And Republicans felt uh, very strongly that um, they were likely to win a majority. And I I think that's led to a certain level of overconfidence. And that's also led Republicans to uh, assume that all they had to do was uh, sit back and wait for Biden to fail rather than define a clear objective for what they would do on their own. Uh, We have a bicameral system. We have a House and a Senate the House of Representatives typically swings away from the president's party. The president loses seats during his first midterm. That's a very strong historical pattern. The number of seats lost on average is about 26. Since the Democrats have a margin of only four, it seems reasonable to suppose that Republicans are still within reach of winning a House majority. Uh, I've never been one who thought Republicans would win a gigantic uh, increase in seats. Uh, the reason for that is that they're really about 70 seats, which are on the margin, if you will, five points either way, and Republicans already cooled about 35 of those. So we're talking about three dozen seats maximum, theoretical, they would be likely to pick up. More recently, uh, Republicans' failure to identify an agenda and uh, weak candidates. Candidates who have often been promoted by Donald Trump are are simply not doing that well. And um, in some areas, the uh, issue of uh, abortion controls has also been a big factor helping uh, Democrats. The real story, though, is not the House of Representatives where secular trends rule, but rather the uh, Senate races, which are individual races and where the quality of the individual candidates is much more important. Uh, Republicans felt that they had a very strong chance of gaining the one Senate seat they needed to get an effective majority control of the Senate. But um, they simply have bad candidates who are not performing well. The most prominent example at this point might be Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, Dr. Mehmet Oz, a TV celebrity with no prior connection to the state of Pennsylvania, who did use his uh, fabulous celebrity wealth to finance a uh, senatorial campaign. He was endorsed by Donald Trump, but uh, at this point he's uh, struggling. He seems to be well behind uh, in the polls. Another example would be Uh, Herschel Walker in uh, Georgia, very strong supporter of President Trump in uh, 2020. Walker is a football hero and really a living legend in. Atlanta, Georgia, but he's got many, many personal problems. He wrote a book in which he described his own struggles with uh, mental illness and some of the unfortunate behavior that resulted from his problems. He's a great advocate of getting treatment for mental illness. He's really, you know, I think it's fair to say that he has done his piece to explain that mental illness is a problem. However, that's still not a great position to be in as a Senate candidate. There are others I could mention, Uh, J.D. Vance, um, the author of the book, Hillbilly Elegy, another Trump-supported candidate who uh, won Ohio. That should be a very strong state for Republicans, but Vance has not been raising money. Blake Masters in Arizona, another marginal candidate who is not raising money and running Uh, as they all are against uh, more experienced Democratic candidates, uh, Democrats who may be incumbents to start with, and who have just a very, very strong fundraising edge. In short, I would say that many of the macro indicators we look at in polling, in looking at congressional races, whether it's the president's approval rate, whether it's uh, polling about uh, the direction of the country, whether it's the economic variables we look at, pretty much all of these high-level macro numbers still do point to a very strong environment for Republican candidates uh, to run in. The problem is, though, that Republicans are not fundraising, they don't have an agenda. The one macro number they don't control, the generic ballot, Uh, suggests that Republicans really haven't suggested there's a reason for voting Republican. And then finally, it's this candidate issue. So we've gone from a situation where six months ago, even three months ago, it was widely expected that we'd see a Republican blowout in this election. Now it is questionable whether Republicans will win the House. Um, I tend to think they will because the historical trends are so strong. But um, Democrats could very well increase uh, their representation in the Senate. And, uh, that would certainly be what we call beating the spread in American football. It would be exceeding expectations. And, um, I think that you need to pay attention starting now because, uh, we're coming out of our summer season in the United States. Additional start of the fall is our Labor Day holiday, the first weekend in September. And, um, uh, the polling on our elections becomes much more accurate. Uh, there are many the polls increase dramatically in quantity and quality after Labor Day. So, given the ups and downs of the past few weeks and months, given the fact that it's really not a season for making good predictions, I'm cautious of the sense that suddenly there's a democratic wave. I think that rather we want to see what the polling tells us in September and October, and we'll probably get a much more realistic sense of where things are heading in
0: uh, just a few weeks. So when we think about the next two years, is it fair to say that whereas the first two years for President Biden have been about the Democrats' legislative agenda, the next two years are going to be about the implementation of legislation that is now already passed, And how do you see the contest for the next presidential election shaping up in 2024?
1: One of the reasons for having such an aggressive domestic agenda focusing on industrial policy, in effect, to try to create supply chains for electric vehicles or to create supply chains for clean energy technology that were not reliant on China is that um, the Biden administration had hoped to demonstrate that the United States was in a much more competitive position and then uh, turn to start uh, re-engaging China to really, you know, the, the, the plan for the Biden administration was to rejoin the Paris Agreement, sort of patch up our relations with Europe and then create a united front to address uh, China starting about now. But um, Biden has, uh, you know, been bogged down in the legislative agenda. China has been focused on COVID and President Xi's own uh, problems uh, maintaining his control of China. There's not really a lot of progress on the China script. There's no progress really in dismantling the Trump trade agenda. We now hear there's a chance that Biden and Xi may have a meeting at the G20 or the Apex summit after the midterm election. But that whole script about China is out the window, given the situation in Ukraine, which has really taken over the president's foreign policy agenda and wiped out that previous script. Then, of course, um, after the midterms, the next big question will be what the 2024 uh, outlook is like and whether Biden will run for a second term and whether Donald Trump will uh, run for a second term.
0: If Trump or Biden do not run for whatever reason, who are the people that you're looking at as potentially being most interesting in terms of the Republican Party and the Democrat Party?
1: I like to see new faces, and we certainly need new faces in American politics. No more dynastic politics, time for a break, time for something different. That was, in fact, the argument originally for Donald Trump. I am on the verge of changing my view because my expectation has been that we will see an open field on both sides. That is that many people have believed that Joe Biden was not likely to run again and would not be a candidate for a second term, especially if the Democrats suffered a great defeat in the midterm. Now Biden appears to be in a better chance to uh, stay on for a second term. But the reality is he'd be 86 years old when he finishes that term. And, um, you know, it's a difficult situation. You can't admit the president is not in a position to run again because that would immediately make him a lame duck, uh, very much a weakened president in both global and domestic terms. So we have the situation in America where everyone wants to believe that Biden will run again, but in fact, no one really does. And I think it's likely that Biden will see a primary challenge, probably from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, probably from a successor of Bernie Sanders. And that uh, threat of a primary challenge will limit his ability to move toward the Senate, toward the center. It will keep Biden uh, focused on this very progressive agenda he has been focused on. But uh, some of the people you hear about as possible alternative candidates, I think Biden's preference would be that the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, who um, just survived a recall election against a very Trumpy candidate in California. He seems to be the best positioned. Otherwise, Kamala Harris, it's remarkable that no one believes she's likely to have any prospects at all. She's the vice president. She's the nominal successor. And, you know, she'll have to make some announcements soon. Uh, Biden will need to announce at the midterms whether he's running or not. But uh, other than um, Newsom in New York, you hear about uh, Governor Roy Cooper of uh, North Carolina. You hear about Governor Andy Beshear of Mitch McConnell's home state, uh, Kentucky. In those two cases, though, I don't think the Democrats are really that interested in nominating you know, another white guy from a conservative state, a small conservative state at that. Pete Buttigieg at one point was perceived as being a very strong candidate, and uh, his performance as the uh, transportation secretary has uh, not been stellar. But I I do think that as the first uh, gay candidate for president, he would get a lot of support from that community, and uh, he would certainly be part of the mix. Kathy Hochul, governor of New York, has gotten some attention, but um, really you know, we're two years out. It's very hard to speculate about who's there. Uh, You want to think back to the 2016 presidential race when the Republicans had about 20 candidates and Donald Trump was the surprise winner. I think that if Biden does not run, we'll have a very open field, a wide open field, including progressive candidates, and uh, it will be an exciting race to uh, follow. You could say much the same on the Republican side. Uh, Donald Trump is certainly the dominant character within the republican party today uh, he has a very strong base but also a minority base i would estimate 30 to 40 percent of republican primary voters which means that he can certainly control the primary election but can't really get to the general trump has got many legal problems um, many people who know trump believe that he was uh, you know, trying to maximize his influence that he might have settled to serve as a kingmaker, to anoint any other candidate other than uh, his rival, uh, Governor DeSantis of Florida. The FBI search of Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago, for reasons we don't really understand, seems to have uh, pushed Trump into a position where he is actually more likely to run than not. But again, I suspect that we're probably going to be looking at another open primary on the Republican side as well.
0: Given the problem of inflation, rising interest rates, COVID, and what you were saying about some of these difficult foreign policy issues, do you see the domestic political environment in America being a positive or a negative factor for the U.S. financial markets during the remainder of this year? and in 2023
1: i think that very much depends on the outlook for inflation and for energy prices and the extent to which we perceive the uh, presidential election as being this uh, wide open contest that i suggested that it might be we will be doing some implementation of the, uh, you know, the major energy bill that just passed. There is good news for the financial markets there and that the corporate tax increases that were initially expected are going to be relatively small, relatively minor. Um, you know, that is that is a positive. But, you know, I, I think that probably the principal themes are going to be uncertainty over energy prices. Uh, the uh, great attention in the United States to the energy markets in Europe, and you know the impact of those European energy prices on the United States, where our own natural gas prices are hitting um, unprecedented levels in the fracking era. You know, ten dollar natural gas is quite remarkable. Um, I believe that uh, oil prices will be on the rise by the end of this year. That gasoline prices will be once again a factor in the election. And that, um, you know, we'll see the politics of energy prices in the United States to um, certainly to a lesser extent than in the UK or in Europe. But um, that's going to be very much a factor. I guess the big issue has to do with the economy itself. We're coming out of a 40-year period. Call it the great moderation. Call it the great expansion. Call it what you will. But we have enjoyed this relatively stable macro climate. Characterized by um, low interest rates and a relatively risk-free political environment, we've had a few recessions, but on the whole, it's been a been a very, very favorable market uh, environment. Now, uh, with the Fed beginning to tighten dramatically, uh, the uh, you know we're awaiting the uh, Fed Chairman's speech at uh, Jackson Hall. Markets will need to figure out how to cope with the new normal inflation rate. And that's not going to be a 2% inflation rate. It'll be 3%, 4%, 5%. Who knows? Uh, We hope that inflation is declining. But it's a secular change. It's a change in the nature of the global economy as uh, global integration slows down. The um, U.S. and China develop separate supply chains. It's just a different Environment for the financial markets to work in. And um, I think there's going to be caution until we know exactly what this new environment
0: feels like. James, thank you for this very interesting insight into the service that is provided by Capital Alpha Partners. If we had more time, it would be interesting to discuss in detail your views on the various sectors and subsectors of the economy that Capital Alpha Team cover. The Independent Research Forum is offering a short trial to the Capital Alpha Partner service and can provide details of how to subscribe to their full service. More information is available on request from the Independent Research Forum. Many thanks for listening to this IRF podcast with James Lucia of Capital Alpha Partners.